so when we're looking at this, you really need to look at the overall picture. When you're looking at, are we bleeding? We're gushing blood. If a blood cell was taxes, we're gushing blood. So you have to ask yourself, at what point do we ask for effective, efficient, and accountable government? Welcome to the Property Management Brainstorm Show with Bob Preston. Bob is the president, owner, and broker of North County Property Group, the fastest-growing and top-ranked property management company in North County, San Diego. This podcast is for property owners and investors who are considering hiring a professional property management company to manage their property assets. You'll hear from leading professionals on the best practices surrounding the San Diego rental market, what's involved in successfully renting your property, and how to make sure your property is managed correctly. Now, here is your host, Bob Preston. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Property Management Brainstorm Podcast. I'm Bob Preston, the host of the show, broadcasting from our studio at North County Property Group in Del Mar, California. This is going to be an important podcast today. Not that the others aren't, but this one in particular, because we are dipping our toe into the water of California state politics. If you're not aware of this already, you'll be hearing a lot about more about this as we head into election time in 2020, as there is a state of California proposal that will be on the ballot in that year, 2020, that many refer to as the California split role measure. And I have with me today a former member of the California State Senate and a local San Diego politician, Joel Anderson, who is an expert on this topic and will provide us in advance with a lot of great insights. Joel previously represented the 38th Senate District. He's a member of the American Legislative Exchange Council, serving the state of California as a leader. And last month announced he will be running for the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. Thank you for joining us, Joel. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Great to have you here. And I gave a really brief intro to your background, probably didn't do it justice. And so maybe you can take a few minutes and expand on that and tell us more about yourself. Sure. My wife, Kate, and I have been married 30 years. Actually, this is our 31st, and uh, we have three children, all adults. I grew up first 16 years in Michigan. I finished high school here in San Diego, and there's no way I'm leaving. So I, <laughs> right? I'm French, and nice I'm, I'm up for the fight, and I, I want to make sure that we get what we deserve. And we work awfully hard with paying taxes, electing people. They make promises, and they need to keep them. Great. So you'll be running for the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. I can't let you go without asking you. I mean, what would that entail, and when is the election? Well, the Board of Supervisors really address the quality of life issues. It's your housing, it's transportation, it's uh, parks, libraries, all those types of things, homeless, mental illness, all those things are addressed by the Board of Supervisors. This primary election comes up March 2020, which is just, what, a stone throw from here. Right. And look, I believe in, in effective, efficient, and accountable government, and I think that we need more transparency. I think that uh, when we think in terms of the people we know... Uh, Bob, I, I don't know your age, but I think we're probably close in age. Yep. I, I checked yours. We're about the same age. Yeah. <laughs> so the part that bothers me most is over the last couple of years, every time I talk to friends, they have to visit their grandkids in Arizona because our county failed to deliver on housing, 
in career opportunities. And I just want our kids to grow up with the same opportunities that we had growing up here. Yes. I mean, a lot of baby boomers are exiting the state as they retire. And then a lot of the millennials just can't afford to live here. So it's an interesting, you know, I can't wait to hear more about it, Joel, and and uh, listen to you on the campaign trail. That'll be really fun. Okay. So let's dive into the subject today. And, you know, the California split role measure, that's basically what it's called. I think there's an official name we'll get to here in a minute. But setting the stage properly for this discussion dates back to 1975, believe it or not, and the implementation of what I'm sure everybody remembers and knows about called Proposition 13. Maybe you can give us a quick review of you know what that was, what it does for us even today, and why that was important for California property owners. Well, California hasn't changed much. Even back in the 70s, the growth was enormous as far as the cost of housing as it was increasing in the cost of renting businesses. So what we had uh, is we had a lot of seniors who would purchase a home and they're they're literally, their taxes would be doubling every year. And so what we looked at is a way to, to protect them and also make it a predictable revenue source for local government. So what Prop 13 essentially did was it said when you purchased a home or built a home, there'd be a 1% assessment on the market value and then up to 2% assessment every year after that. It also said that if you're a local government and you wanted to raise taxes, or if you're the state legislature and you wanted to raise taxes, you needed a supermajority, a two-thirds vote, in order to pass that tax. And that was just to keep government from spinning out of control. Okay, so I get it. So it made um, life in California more predictable for not only us as homeowners, but also for the state government in terms of tax revenue. Is that kind of the notion of it? You got it. Okay. So this new split role measure, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the official name is the California Schools and Local Communities Funding Act of 2018. Is that? Yes, it is. Okay, good. Okay, I got that right. So can you tell us a bit about what it is that's being proposed under this measure? Well, the split role says that corporations and big business aren't paying their fair share because under Prop 13, all property is assessed the same way. Including commercial property and agriculture, right. everything. Right. Every property out there is assessed the 1% and then 2% each additional year. And what this does is it frees it up so that commercial and industrial properties every three years will have a reevaluation at market value. So you, you own a property. Somebody moves in next to you and increases the value of your property. You could see your taxes uh, doubling. Okay, as a owner of that commercial Correct. building. Okay, Correct. I got it. All right, so full disclosure here, you're on the opposition side of the split role measure, and we'll get back to that here in a minute. <laughs> I prefer to think the side of the people. Yeah, right. Okay, and I want to hear more about that, obviously, and we will. But in the spirit of being educational and neutral here for a moment, and by the way, I'm going to remain Switzerland, if that's okay with you, but I would love to hear you confirm some of the basic concepts. Does that sound okay? Sure, absolutely. Okay. All right, so who is behind the split role, and why has this been proposed? I mean, if you can sort of put on your by partisan hat here for a minute. Well, having served in the legislature, I can tell you that the supermajority of which I never served, they have a quench, a thirst for taxes that cannot be quenched under any circumstances. Okay. We've seen our gas tax go up. We've been promised roads, and yet roads have not been built. Now we're finding out there's going to be more bike lanes and trolleys. We've seen uh, our income tax go up. We've seen every tax out there go up, and then additional fees. And our budget over the last decade has gone from $86 billion to over $130 billion, almost doubling in that time frame. Yet, I don't believe that any Californians have seen their, their wages double. And yet, that's still in the 
enough mm-hmm. to fund our schools. Okay. And so their purpose is to say 40% of this money after the cost of collecting it will go back to schools just like they did when we had the uh, lottery. Okay. More money was going to go to schools. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so who is it though? Who is they? I, I understand the League of Women Voters, um, social justice groups like the Alliance of Californias for Community Empowerment. I don't even know who these people really are. So maybe. Well, the groups that are supporting are all special interest unions, social justice, environmental justice, progressive groups. Most of it are people that are going to directly benefit from this additional revenue. So they're going to see an increase in their salaries. They're going to see an increase in the number of jobs. And I'm not saying that job growth is a bad thing. I'm just thinking that there are more productive ways of accomplishing that job growth that doesn't have to come from my back pocket against my will. Sure. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And and thanks for clarifying all that. I read a summary of the kind of proponent side that says uh, that claims that 11.4 billion will be raised for state and local governments with about 4.5 billion going to schools on the flip side who are the primary opponents who's who's not for this and who's you know kind of fighting it so naturally people that own commercial or industrial property are upset with it but small businesses are upset too and in what's interesting bob is that the proponents say that this is going to help small businesses because they're going to be exempt from it. And it also says they won't have to pay property taxes, which are taxes on their desks, computers, all the things that they have inside their building. And only the big guys are going to have to pay. So it'll level the playing field. But I think that if you look at history, every time there's an increase that's on a corporation, like every time there's an increase in the cost of power, it gets passed on from the power companies to us. Every time your commercial building owner has to pay more in taxes, he's not absorbing it. It's getting passed on to those small businesses, and they're absorbing it, or they're passing it on to you, the consumer. So those are the folks that are opposing it, along with Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, which group was started by Howard Jarvis of Prop 13 fame. Okay, so you're right. I mean, I lease our office space here in this building where we are today, And if the owners of this building, if their taxes were to go up because of this measure, they're not going to just absorb that. Right. And this is in a pretty high rent area. So the property taxes could potentially go up every three years is what you're saying. And there's no limit to the amount that can go up. So it could be an awful lot. Now, I don't want to get personal, but are you triple net or gross? Because there are some people out there that are triple net. And that means that these are pass-throughs. And you automatically it goes directly to No, you. I'm I'm gross. But okay. there are provisions for special increases if you know something right. like this might happen. So So really then what we're coming to is despite all the people that aren't paying the tax, they're the ones that are saying that the small guy won't pay, the small business won't. When I think that we all know that if you've ever had a rent, you had to look at whether it was triple net or gross and whether it was a provision to pass on those types of costs. And I think that every small business, if they're renting space from a large corporation or from a uh, industrial property, they're going to be paying those taxes. Well, even if their current lease were to be frozen, if you will, or they, you know, if they, when they go down to time to renew right. their lease, they're going to be in for a big shock because very likely their their rent rate would go up substantially. Okay, hey, you've been a great uh, citizen here, like kind of going along playing Switzerland for a minute. So go for it. Uh, feel free to expand on this. Bring us up to speed with your position and why you know you believe in that position. Well, I, I already spoke about how the revenue to our state has increased. Every year I served in the legislature over the last 10 years, our revenue 
had unexpected revenue that came in. That means that we projected taxes off of our tax roll and we exceeded those taxes. The lowest year was $2 billion. I think this year it's over $20 billion in additional revenue. And yet this measure is only talking about $11 billion. And that hasn't taken into the account of the cost of collecting it. This is just gross numbers. It's not net numbers. So we don't know what that number truly is going to be. When I read all the studies and looked at it, it doesn't take in any account for businesses that close or move. And look, it's really easy to, it's, it's, it's simple to figure this out. Businesses cannot continue to operate at a loss. They can only operate at a profit. So when people talk about, well, I don't know, maybe they'll stick around. They won't stick around if every year they can't predict the cost of doing business. And so one of the biggest issues with taxes is you get them at the end of the year and you may not be able to anticipate what that total cost is going to be. You see, when I first got elected to the legislature, one of my colleagues said, hey, let's go out of state and let's meet with businesses that left California and find out why they left. And I thought, what a dumb idea. Uh, they left because we have such a horrible environment. But I went along for the for the ride and I was shocked. What did you hear out of curiosity? First of all, there were more people that wanted to testify than we had time <laughs> because they didn't leave because they wanted to. They were forced out of the state. The number one issue wasn't our high taxes. It was the unpredictability of our regulation. Mm -hmm. And now under this initiative, this proposition, we're going to add unpredictability to the tax base because when you, after you do the course of the year, your assessor could come back in three years and assess you whole new taxes that are unanticipated that you have no way to pay. Essentially, if you have a 10 or 15% margin of profit, that could erode the whole amount putting you out of business or even putting you upside down. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the interesting things of this measure, we, we talked about it being split role and focused on commercial properties, which essentially exempts residential homeowners, right? So Correct. a lot of the listeners to the show are likely residential homeowners and investors with properties that are, that are rentals. But I mean, actually what you're saying is that if local businesses had to move or go out of business, that's not good for the consumer economy either, right? I mean, prices could go up at the retail and all, all the places they shop. I mean, overall, that's not good for kind of the overall economy. Has anyone looked at that and what that might, how that might impact the overall economy? There were some studies. I went on the web, checked it out, but the studies are old. So okay. I, I wouldn't want to quote something from 2014 or 15, but I think it's just good common sense. We've had an increase in labor, minimum wage going up. Sure. We've had an increase in regulation, and now we're going to increase the taxes. Every time you do any of those measures, some businesses close. We've seen that on the streets that some businesses have closed. And others say, well, that's okay because that makes more room for new businesses. Well, the new business is going to come in and they're going to charge more. And they may not, you know, for the first time ever, we see at McDonald's automation. Many of the McDonald's now have kiosks and they have narrowed it down to one employee right. at the counter instead of the 10 employees that they had. And that means nine people no longer have jobs. Mm -hmm. And a job is a job. I think that if a person's employed, if they get up in the morning and they go to work, that's a good thing. And I'm not going to put down 
what that job is. Some people would say, well, it's just a McDonald's job. I don't care. It's an entry level to the market. It hey, leads to my first jobs. job when I was a teenager, exactly. guess where it was? It was a McDonald's. So I, I, my kids get a kick out of that. You know, I always tell them, well, my first job when I was 15 was, was I was worked behind the counter at McDonald's and they think that 30 years ago in college, I wrote a, a paper on McDonald's and 20% of all employees in the United States, worked for McDonald's. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And it, I, I, I bet there's some pretty career. successful people doing that. Oh, I'm sure. But it begs the question, though, do we need this additional revenue? So this year, we have a $20 billion surplus. We've seen over the last 10 years, surplus after surplus. And yet, the supermajority in Sacramento has chosen not to fund our schools. So this isn't about cash flow. This is about extortion, extorting more money from, from taxpayers because they all want it their kids to get a good education. Sure. And if you look at Prop 13 alone, and you were to say from 78 to 2018, you would see that the revenue increase in the taxes from Prop 13 alone was 6.9% overall. And yet, if you looked at the wages of Californians during that same time frame, they only saw an increase in their wages by 6.1%. So this tax under its current status is still outpacing revenue to ordinary citizens. Right. So how much more should we have to pay to get what we were promised year after year when they've had extra money? Well, you brought up a couple of really interesting points. And I, uh, before we move on, I kind of want to circle back and, and ask you about them a little bit more. So on the tax front, I mean, California's already faced some of the steepest taxes in the country, right? I mean, we pay the highest income and state taxes, I, I believe, among the highest, if not the, and our cost of living here is at a record level, probably the highest in the nation. If you kind of spread across the entire state, I know there are lots of micro economies. Tax on gas is now, you know, a lot higher since 2017. Utility rates, I could go on and on and on. But I mean, this notion of cost of living and the overall taxation rate in the state of California, that has to come into play with some of the opinions you're speaking on today, right? Absolutely. You know, the timing could not be worse. And frequently, they like to go state to state comparisons. And they'll say that, well, our gas tax isn't the highest. But states that have higher gas tax may not have a sales tax. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You can't, can't single so, that so, out. So when we're looking at this, you really need to look at the overall picture. We have the highest or second highest gas income sales tax, and we pay 48% more for the same electricity that other parts of the nation receive. So when you're looking at, are we bleeding? We're gushing blood. If a blood cell was taxes, we're gushing blood. So you have to ask yourself, at what point do we ask for effective, efficient, and accountable government? At what point do we say, with these taxes, by the way, this initiative does not tell you there's no cap on how much it can increase every three years, and there's no limit on them coming back annually. It says three years, they're mandated to do it, but your assessor could come back annually. So that's built into Yeah, it. if all of a sudden we have a robust, you know, real estate market and things go up more than kind of the nominal five to seven percent, I mean the the assessor could come back around. Well, who needs a raise? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's what it really comes down to. If I if I can get more money, that means more raises for everybody. So you have that issue. And then there's no accountability how the money is spent. So this money 
they say it's going to go to education, but is it really going to go to education? Well, that's a good segue if you don't mind me cutting in here. So because you you mentioned the lottery earlier, and look, I've had four children go through the state of California school system, for which I'm incredibly grateful. So I'm all about funding and keeping our schools, you know, properly equipped with whatever, uh, you know, good teachers, all that. But what about the California state lottery? I mean, I mean, remember back when that passed, we were all promised, oh, this is going to save our school system, and where what happened to that money? <laughs> you know. Right, right. So before I got elected, I felt the same way. So as soon as I got up there, I did a lot of inquiry. And what I learned was every time that there's a special assessment, when Jerry Brown had the special assessment for the taxes and that all these taxes are going to go to our colleges and universities, it's going to be a huge boost. No, these schools are funded from our general fund. And when we earmark another source of those fundings, They withdraw the money that was there, so it's net neutral, and they're keeping the word. The lottery money is going there, but I see. But funding from other sources within are are being reduced. Interesting. So you're net neutral overall, and you know uh, the other part that gets me is over a five year period when I was in the legislature, the 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 UCs were looking at more increases, increase in tuition. They had a huge tuition spike, and there's been so many of them, it gets kind of confused. But I went back and I just did a little quick research. And over that five-year period, there was a 16% increase in the number of new students. And so there's a tremendous need. But what I also learned was there was a 220% increase in administrators, not professors, administrators. Now, I could see a 16% increase in administrators to handle the new volume. But 220%, look, uh, when you compare the our colleges and universities, they pr- produce an incredible product. But at a cost that's at two or three times the cost of education in other states. So is the increase in tuition at the UC or state schools, is that, is that kind of that sort of exorbitant rates that people are, we hear about starting to pay in tuition? Is that more aligned with supporting this level of administrators and kind of, I don't know, you're describing it sort of as bureaucracy within the UC system? Look, okay, there's no oversight. <laughs> okay. uh, there's no accountability. And when you look at the big numbers, and what people like to do is they like to get down in the minutia and then confuse you. If you take the total number, I did this with Caltrans. Ten years ago, I was really upset uh, with Caltrans because we weren't building any roads. Nothing but excuse, excuse after excuse, and boondoggle after boondoggle. So I took the total number of Caltrans employees. It, from year to year, it generates between twenty and 22,000. And I divided it by the total amount of wages and, and benefits that the employees received. The average was 104,000. Now, I said it was over 100 because I knew the SAC B would want to fact check me. I'd get a second bite sure. of that apple sure. with them having to print that I was actually correct. But when you thought about it, the average Californian was making less than 50,000. Now, I'm not saying that everybody out there holding a sign is making 104,000, but there's a lot of people. In fact, there were 2,000 employees at Caltrans that hadn't had an assignment in over three years. So they're literally sitting at their desk reading newspapers, and those are the costs. That's what's ripping it up. So when we look at more revenue, I'm not sure that that's the answer rather than focusing on accountability and making sure that people get what they deserve from government. So you mentioned Governor Brown and and uh, what's going on there in Sacramento. What about Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom? Where does he stand on this? Is he yet to release an, a position? Well, he's put his foot on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Newsom's a very interesting guy. By the way, 
I don't think that this would have passed under Governor Brown. Governor Brown was an early and consistent supporter of Prop 13. Uh, I really enjoyed working with Governor Brown. He was a that's true because he was very much involved during that period of California politics when that when it passed, right? Oh, absolutely. As soon as he saw that more than fifty percent of Californians really liked the idea, he was on board with both feet. We changed the process. The supermajority changed the process of initiatives, and every initiative once it's qualified has to go through the legislature, and it's scrutinized, and people they can't stop it from moving. But it's an opportunity for negotiation. Governor Newsom is looking to use that process to negotiate a deal that businesses can support and they get additional revenue. I don't know how you do that. I think that's like saying I'm a little pregnant. I think that sure. once you break yeah. down Prop 13, the dominoes start clicking and it's not long before we go after grandma's house. Until you control how you spend the money, you're never going to have enough money to spend and we've seen that over this last decade of the revenues increasing dramatically to the state. And yet we have failed our schools. We've failed our roads. We failed on so many levels. And that all has to do with accountability. That's interesting that, you know, because, right, I mean, there's lots of problems in California. Infrastructure is one of them. You sort of mentioned, gee, grandma's house here. So right now, the split roll measure exempts residential property. And this is all conjecture. But some of the opponents of the measure they kind of go out on a limb and suggest that, gee, this this measure, if it passes, the sponsors may use it as kind of a stepping stone to then expand this type of taxation onto residential property. I mean, I know you're not, you don't have a crystal ball, but what are, what are your thoughts about that? Well, the arguments are the same arguments. You know, uh, so somebody buys their home in 1970, they pay a hundred grand, and maybe their taxes is a thousand, two thousand dollars a year. Somebody buys the home next to them, and it happens to be these are lots that have beautiful views. And so they put a, a mega mansion in there. And all of a sudden, their taxes are 10000 a month. Right. And they're saying, it happens along the coast here in San Diego, for that's sure. That's not fair because the guy next to me is only paying two grand. How can that be fair? We both have the same size lot. Well, the fairness is all the pipes, all the infrastructure were paid for in the 70s. So you really haven't paid in your fair share to level it out. And not only that, but if I buy a home and I pay it off, should I be forced out of my house with unpredictable taxes? So a couple of years ago, I've lived in my same home for 30 years, and I love it. I, lo I live in Alpine. It's a great community. I raised my kids there. It's just a wonderful community. But I looked at possibly moving, and that move would have quadrupled my taxes, and my taxes would have been higher than my original house payment without taxes. <laughs> so I can see how it stops people from making moves. But the problem isn't that uh, we're not taxing enough. I think we should be looking at why are we taxing so much? And why do the taxes have to be as high as they are? And, you know, you saw from the numbers I, I shared with you earlier that Prop 13 is a 6.9 year-over-year increase over that decade. So we're not losing money. It's still appreciating. So why do we need all this extra money, especially when we've seen for the last decade banner years in tax revenue unanticipated to the state? Well, it's interesting because I live in a very mixed kind of neighborhood. There are a lot of people that have been there, you know, for 30, 40 years. Some have inherited homes from their mother and father li living here along the coast. And then we also have tear down 
right. lots where people have come in, bought an older home, torn it down, built a mansion. We have some lots where they bought two lots in old houses, torn them both down, and then you know, kind of build your mega mansion. So if, I mean, if the taxes were to go up and a, you know, some sort of huge rate for all the residents in my neighborhood, in, including the older people who are retired across the street, I mean, I'd drive them out of the neighborhood. They couldn't stay right, there. Right. And that's so, not fair. Well, the other part is anticipation. We talked about this earlier. If I know what the cost is, I can make a decision up front whether I want to pay it or not. In my case, I chose not to move because I didn't want to pay it because I sure. thought that extra five or 10 grand uh, I could use in other ways to enhance my life rather than moving homes. For those people on fixed incomes, you've worked hard, you played by the rules, and now these greedy people want to force you out of your home just so that they can get raises. And I don't think that's right. You mentioned it earlier, too, that the state's ability to properly kind of handle this workload if we start appraising commercial properties and assess them every year. I mean, do we have the infrastructure today of trained appraisers to do that for the state? That seems like that's uh, going to be a lot of work, and we're not really ready for that. What's your So there's 58 county assessors, mm-hmm. and then there's the Board of Equalization. And according to the Board of Equalization and the county assessors, they'll need a minimum of 900 new positions if it's on a three-year cycle. They may need more than that if it's on an annual cycle. And remember, once you start down this road, it's a mandatory three-year cycle. But it could be annual because there's no caps on anything. They can do it sooner, and there's no cap on how much it is. The second thing is they said that they thought that the cost would be uh, from $517 million to $639 million in the first year, and then it would go up accordingly once they figured out what the true need was. You know, so when they're talking about $11 billion, well, that's true, but you may lose a billion dollars in collecting that. Plus, you get somebody in there, they're not trained on the assessment, because right now the assessments are very smooth and easy, but now you're talking about a free market, open assessment. We don't have, I mean, 900 new people have to be trained. Let's say uh, 1%, nine people make mistakes. That's going to fill our court system. With people suing. Well, I was just going to say, because you'd have protests in there if the assessment, you know, the owner of didn't believe the assessment was accurate. And uh, it just seems like it's gonna, it would take a long time to implement properly. Uh, our court systems are a disaster today. If you get a court time, it's like the DMV. It takes forever. So now we're going to fill it up with more cases. When you look at this, you have to look at the ripple effects. And are we prepared to handle all this? In a year where we have over a $20 billion surplus in revenue to the state. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, interesting points on both sides of this equation. So you probably track some polls on this issue. Are are there people being polled yet? And kind of what's the response out in the, you know, among voters? Every one of these propositions is one side says it's a cup half full and the other side says it's a cup half empty. So, when they put the initiative on the ballot and they're collecting the signatures, they talk about how this is closing corporate loopholes, that these people have unfair advantages, as if that money's all going to the owner, when right now that additional cost could be and most likely will be passed on to the renters. So when you're looking at that, they collected the signatures without any problem. 
If you say, I want to do something that hurts politicians or hurts corporations or hurts utilities, everybody wants to sign up because everybody thinks that they're all horrible people. Stick it to the man, kind of. Yeah. Stick it to the man. <laughs> Absolutely. But when push comes to shove and people start getting educated and they start to realize, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That person is going to pass this cost through and all I'm doing is taxing myself and I may actually even cost people jobs. Well, then that changes everything. Absolutely. Okay. That's interesting because, I mean, as a voter myself, obviously, I'm not an economist, but I suppose the biggest question for me when I determine which way I'll cast my vote is what the net effect and impact will be on our state economy overall, kind of from a macro perspective. And then also I have to, I have to think about how it might impact me. And if there's a lot of uncertainty, and that, then, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm sure much more will out on this in the next year or two. And these are really difficult things uh, to measure, right? We can, we can anticipate the way it's going to be, but we don't know for a fact that businesses are going to leave town, that maybe they'll stay. Maybe they'll pass it on. Maybe consumers will be happy to pay it. I mean, we saw that with uh, surcharges on gas where restaurants were saying hey, it's going to be our costs have gone up for electricity and other items. So we have a 10% surcharge on you and people still went to some of those restaurants some of the re restaurants went defunct but others stayed in business so i don't know what that predictability is that's why my focus and why i don't support it is this is filling a need for what we have had a huge revenue increase over the last 10 years even the prop 13 revenue has outpaced wages so what are we trying to fix here other than to be greedy the real problem is politicians who can't keep their word. Politicians who promise to fix our schools, and then when we pass the lottery and pass other taxes, they underfund from this general fund of what they used to fund, and it's a net neutral. I think that our focus, if this was truly going to be a helpful proposition, it would be focusing on keeping politicians accountable and making sure that when we pay for the gas tax, and gas tax was supposed to go to building roads, Yet only 26% of the money could be used for roads. All the rest of the money was going elsewhere. Only 26% may be used on roads. Wow. Interesting. I mean, something's got to give. And I know Governor Newsom will have his well, hands full with all this, you know, moving forward. Bob, just think about locally here. You know, Sandeg came out recently and said uh, they're not going to build any new roads. They passed bonds promising us new roads, new infrastructure. And now we're going to have Grand Trolley Station. You know, trolleys and trains are old technology. They're linear. You can only go from A to B. Here we are with some of the smartest minds coming out of our colleges and universities, and we're testing automated cars, automated green cars, and they can't use any of those tracks. And yet they could pick us up at our house, drop us off at the grocery store. We could fill their trunk with our groceries. We wouldn't have to carry them on a train or worry about being mugged. And yet, they're going to put billions upon billions of dollars on infrastructure that only makes the labor unions happy because they're the only ones that benefit from it. And I want to invest in new technologies. I want to invest in the future, not the past. And so I'm a big proponent for uh, helping our infrastructure out, increasing our roads, and bringing automation. 
Yeah, well, God, this is super. This has been super interesting. I could go on all day talking to you, Joel. <laughs> it is Memorial Day. Joel and I came in here on our day days off here to record this, and so I, we need to wrap up here in the interest of time for the show, and also get back home to our families. But kind of in wrapping this up, do you have any closing? concepts or topics or anything kind of in in final you'd like to say on this? Well, Bob, first of all, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate being invited on the show. It's great to have you. You know, taking on these tough issues and having in-depth conversations, you know, when you listen to to the press, the the hard part is it's all sound bites and they're not truthful. We really burrowed down today on both sides of the issue and looked at some of the pluses and minuses. And I hope that uh, when people go to vote, they investigate it. You know, Memorial Day, I went to a ceremony this morning to remember those that have given their life Good for, for our liberty. And I talked to Californians who won't give their liberty one day a year to investigate who they vote for. They spend more time investigating their next car than their next president or mm-hmm. governor or state, state legislator. We owe it to the people who have given their lives in liberty here, for here. our liberty to invest at least one day a year to make sure that we elect the right people. Well, so on this particular topic, where could people go if they want to learn more? Do you have some reference points uh, that you could give the audience? Sure. This issue is super hot, so if you just Google it, it pops up like crazy. And what should they go? Split roll measure? Something split like that? Split roll will give you a lot of history. S- the split t- roll taxation? Yep, I, yeah, split California. Roll or schools and community first, which is the advocate, and they have a lot of stuff. And it's interesting because as they present their arguments, I always like to put in the argument and then oppose and see who pops up. And Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, their website has a whole bunch of information. And whatever they say, I like to put it in and put oppose. And I like to read (laughs) both sides because, you know, uh, truth isn't, sometimes the truth is a little more difficult to dig up than just a soundbite. I like what you said earlier, because I mean, I think it's on us as California voters to really, truly investigate this stuff and study both sides. So you can reach your own determination of how you want to vote on this order on this. Bob, uh, can I make, can I, before Absolutely. I leave you, you if you people want to know more about me, they type in Anderson for supervisor, 2020.com. Uh, that's my website. And I'd, I'd love to meet you personally and shake your hand. Well, guy, I can't wait to hear you on the campaign trail. You've got some great ideas in this part that you mentioned about kind of making life great for people who live here in San Diego County. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. So uh, I'll be listening closely and uh, we'll be tracking your campaign and your candidacy. So good luck in that. And I hope to hear good things from you moving forward on that topic. Well, that concludes today's episode. Joel, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. Very much appreciated. We know you're a really busy guy and dropping into the studio has been really special for me and I'm sure our listeners as well. You know, I would just like to make a quick plug to leave a positive review for Property Management Brainstorm. It would make our day and it would also encourage more great guests like Joel to come on the show. And so thank you to all our listeners for joining the Property Management Brainstorm podcast. Until next time, we will be working hard in the field for our clients to maximize their property value and rental income and maintain top tenant relations. And we'll see you next time.